Welcome to Counterculture Parents. I'm Kurt Brunner, your host, and thanks for listening. If you've been listening, you know that a few episodes ago, I introduced you to Cindy Hawks and Olivia Brunner, two counterculture moms who shared their experience making courageous choices with their children. And I said at the time that they would be interviewing other parents who are making courageous countercultural choices. Well, on today's episode, we'll be hearing Olivia and Cindy as they interview Jessica and David Gerke. And uh, as you'll hear, they're a family that have their own unique story and their own unique journey when it comes to being counterculture parents. As a reminder, one of the reasons we're interviewing other families is because it's helpful for us to hear that other parents are making some difficult choices in their context. Now, you may make different choices than some of the families we're going to interview, but I still find it very encouraging to hear parents say, well, this is the norm and we went against the norm, because that can encourage the rest of us as we make choices for our families. So with that introduction, the next voice you're going to hear is Olivia Bruner as she and Cindy Hawks interview Jessica and David Gerke. Well, Cindy, I am super excited about today and about just a chance to begin this journey with you of talking to counterculture parents. Now, I think that we've been chosen to do this because we are the older counterculture parents. (laughs) Would you agree? Yes, yes. I I think we have a few more miles on us. So we're happy to we're happy to take that role and we're proud of it and it's okay, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. And I'm super excited, Olivia, about the couple that we're going to interview today, uh, David and Jessica Gerke. They are so passionate about following Jesus themselves and then very intentional and committed to investing in their kids spiritually. And they have made some really countercultural choices for their family. They got connected to our church family when their house burned down. In this master plan community, there were fires and they got connected to people in our church family that uh, came alongside them. So I just want to welcome them. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Hey, would y'all just uh, share a little bit about your family, your kids, what your situation is? It's interesting because this, this whole journey to faith for me started after the fires that you mentioned. Mm. And I came to faith about seven years ago, uh, you know, from today. And so, you know, this really set us on this trajectory of how do we raise our kids counter to the culture, right? How do we step back and look at our faith and make sure that our kids are grounded in that, in everything that they do? And how do they, how do they see the world through that lens? And so we've got my son is currently 10, Liam, and my daughter, Miliana, is 15 years old. So basically what you're saying, David, is it's not only that you're making and decided to make counterculture choices, but this will be the first generation for you of doing that, right? Because you're a new believer. From the ground up, absolutely. Wow. Do you have one or two examples you can talk to us about as you've been on this journey and figuring it out? Yeah. So um, I think that the two most counterculture choices that we have made as parents would be one, choosing alternative schooling options to educate our children. Mm. We have 
public schooled and charter schooled, but mostly we have homeschooled for the past seven years or so. Another one would be uh, deciding not to engage in sports in which Sunday participation is required. Interesting. Uh, because that would make us miss corporate worship and student ministry and, um, and family time. And, and for us, um, that's very important. Nearly every meal that we're together, we we every time we're together for a meal, you know, there's always circumstance where people are away or I'm out of town for work or something, but every possible meal we can eat together, we do. It's it's typically three three meals a day when the kids are home. Wow. And it's something that's so important. That's something I grew up doing, Jessica grew up doing. So David, the choices that you've made, I'm sure because you are first generation believers and this is new for you guys, that even though you sound very solid in the choices that you've made and you've been amazingly intentional about thinking through all this, I'm sure that it hasn't been like a super easy road. And maybe especially from pressure around you, even family members that maybe aren't believers and wondering, why are you doing it this way? Can you guys share any of those experiences with us? You know, I think one of the big things for any parent is, you know, it's hard seeing your child as the outcast from their friends. But standing firm in what we believe as a family, there were times where there were kids parties and we said, hey, we don't want you playing that video game. Mm-hmm. Right. I understand the other kids are going to be playing it, but that's not not one of the things that we uh, we value. Right. We don't like the the violence in, in some of the games. We're very cautious on what we're what they're exposed to when they're really young. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we have a belief that, you know, what you put in sometimes is permanent. Mm-hmm. And so how do you control that and, and kind of go against what culture says? Right. And so I think for me, one of those early, early things was. Yes, my kid may be an outcast, and that's why if they're surrounded by other kids that are experiencing the same type of parenting, all the kids are are weird than none of them are. Yes. Right, because everyone's kind of, they're all in the same situation. Yeah. When we chose to um, homeschool our children, we live in an area where the, the schools are highly rated and the taxes show that. (laughs) Boy, we all feel that. (laughs) Right? But kidding aside, um, we also saw that a lot of our friends were doing what everybody else was doing. And we were choosing something different. Mm. The decision to homeschool and to highlight different priorities did actually have us questioning our decision from time to time, Mm -hmm. right? Especially when we didn't have a lot of people around us who were making similar choices. And, and I remember that, you know, we felt that we may be robbing our children of, you know, some sort of rite of passage, but through being in the word and seeking communities who are also making counterculture choices with their families, our children are a little different, like David mentioned, um, <laughs> you know, than the other children, but that's okay. Yeah. And their values are a little bit different than most of their peers. And that is definitely okay. Yeah. You know, that's not to say that if you have your child in public school, you cannot do this, right? It is absolutely possible. It might be a little bit harder, but it is absolutely possible. You know, it's it's interesting, you know, talking about this topic, I'm thinking about friends doing something different and that you can always dismiss that, right? That's really easy. For me, what I found harder is growing up in a traditional faith was presenting these things to my family. They're very very engaged in what the culture is uh, is selling, right? Yes, that's and awesome. so that that was hard for me because I've got people that are really close to me, you know, kind of making you doubt what you're doing. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're going to grow up to be outcasts. They're going to have social challenges. 
Luckily, Jessica's family, who also grew up in the same traditional faith, were very extremely supportive. And so it was it was kind of this reinforcement from her side of the family that I didn't necessarily get from my entire family. Some some of my family members did, but you know, the ones that I talked to most often were, you know, making me doubt what we were doing, but we stood firm in what we believed. You know, we had a conversation, I think it was the end of last year with my daughter. She she had stepped back into public school for two years. And at, at the end of the year, at the end of her freshman year, you know, we were talking about social media. And she actually said that that she didn't feel that she was ready to be engaged in social media. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that there's a lot of drama that goes along with it. And she said, I don't think that I'll be ready to engage in social media until college. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was validation wow. for me that she's now making the decision on her own. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's no longer just our values and beliefs that we're trying to instill in them. She's owning it herself. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've tried to do all along is to involve them in the decision making, right? Ultimately, we are driving the bus, but <laughs> whenever we set up a rule or, or you know, guide them in a certain way, we explain to them why we're making the decisions that we are. Age-appropriate explanations, obviously. From a very early age, we, you know, we, we would explain the why behind our decisions, right? So we always try to get their buy-in. Even with schooling, we decided from, from the very first year that we decided to homeschool that we were going to make a decision year by year. Mm. And so at the end of every year, we had a family meeting, right? Like a teacher-parent conference, except I'm the same person. <laughs> and we sat down with the children, you know, one one at a time. And we said, you know, what worked last year? What didn't work? And ultimately, do you want to continue doing this, right? And at some point, she did express interest in, in going to public school. And that's how she ended up doing two year, but really it was one because one of the years was COVID and she was here anyway, just right. doing it all online. So she did really one year of in person um, and it was at her charter school and, and that was enough for her, but we gave her the opportunity to experience that. That's a really interesting journey. Hey, can I circle back to meal times that y'all mentioned a little earlier in your commitment to that? Absolutely. So can you talk a little, maybe you have a, a specific story about how meal times has been a, a context for you really helping make your beliefs and values sticky at, as you are around the table. How does that, how does that work for y'all? So the other day on K-Love on the radio, they were talking about what traditions do you see in, you know, in your families, right? And I muted the radio and, and I turned to my kids and I was like, what would you guys think that our family tradition is, right? And they thought about it for a second. And my daughter goes, stories, telling mm-hmm. stories. When we sit down for dinner, we are not just consuming what's in front of us, right? Mm-hmm. But it is a time for us to share our heritage stories, our journey stories, our testimony stories. Mm. And so for David, apologetics, right, was a huge part of his testimony. And and so we've made it a huge part of what we do as a family. We talk about each other's days, but we also talk about very serious things. I'm afraid, though, that that means the TV is not on. (laughs) 
Absolutely not. <laughs> TV is not on and no no devices at the table. Awesome. Right. Love it. And Love so, it. you know, if, if I had to sum up meal times for us by and large, they're adventurous because they're very exploratory. Mm-hmm. And so it could be exploring what happened in their day. It could be exploring the things that, that Jessica just described. You know, it's this, it's this time to engage their wonder, not just regarding themselves, but what's going on in Jessica, my life. You know, uh, you know, I was a, an agnostic for a long time and almost an atheist because it was all about science and what I could prove. Mm-hmm. And so for me, apolog- apologetics was one of those things that, that strengthened my faith. And so it's, we have these great dialogues and sometimes they're, they're, they're heated, right? Sometimes they're, <laughs> why do you believe that? And, and we, we may justify, you know, one position or another, but, you know, if I really had to sum it up, it really is a time of exploration for us as a family. So that also means that you can't be in a hurry. Like it can't be, okay, we got five minutes, sit down and eat, and then we're going to get out the door to this thing, right? That you have to make time for that. You have to have a, a, enough bandwidth in your day and your evening that you can sit down and not just get through the meal, but also have these exploration times. That's correct. And that has to do with not over scheduling your family time. Which was which was your second choice, which was the, the other example of your of a countercultural choice you've made has to do with your activity and sports and that kind of thing. Yeah, that we filter, right, all of our choices through the lens of our priorities. Mm-hmm. You know, Jessica and I experienced this last week. We stacked a lot within our week, and uh, and she mentioned last night. She's like, "We're not doing that again." <laughs> it was just too hard. It was it was a hard week, right? We were constantly on the move, mm-hmm. and uh, and it just we we had to really step back and go, right? Even we we waver a little bit from our 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 filter, and so we're we refocused and said, "Hey, we're not doing that again," because it took away the the piece of being able to step back and the and sweet moments that we get to share with one another too. Sure. Mm-hmm. They're just the go, go, go. Has that been hard for your kids? Has that been difficult? I don't think so. But when they step back and I, I can only imagine in, in 20 or 30 years when they have their own families, these same values will be important because they, they know that my parents made these a priority mm. and what we believe that what we're instilling with them today is going to carry them into into their families and, and into their adult lives. And I think also along those same lines is giving them the freedom to question their faith. We see we see people walk away from their faith when they get mm-hmm. to a to a high school age or college age where they start to question it and and they can't find the answers because nobody's ever given them the freedom to question their faith. Mm-hmm. And we think by questioning it, it just solidifies the foundational things that we've taught them. Yeah. And, and they, it allows them to make their faith their own. Yeah. And you know, our culture is pretty much broadly communicating that Christians aren't thoughtful people, aren't yes. thinkers, aren't intellectually able. And mm-hmm. so this is quite a countercultural concept that actually we embrace questioning and then searching for real answers based on truth. So I, I love that. With the countercultural parenting that we're talking about in our church family, and we're hoping other churches will engage in as well. We've kind of identified four courageous choices that are really mm-hmm. central to this process. So to review those, the first is direct their spiritual formation. The second is steer their education. Number three is guide their media habits. 
And then number four is interesting, nurture their sexual wholeness, which of course would address passing on a, a biblical view of of the sexual relationship in marriage and the holiness of that, but also nurturing a sexual identity. So around that issue of sexual wholeness, I'm just curious if y'all are discussing or what concerns do you have about the confusion in our day about identity and, and do you, have you had any thoughts about how you're planning to address that with your kids? Um, Emiliana, when, when she was at the charter school, one of her teachers was living out as a man, but was born as a woman, but was now pregnant hmm. living as a man. We had a lot of conversations about that. Yeah. yeah. And remember, mealtimes, a, a lot of the conversations are around exploration, right? right. So, you know, there, we got into conversations around what does the Bible say? What does is, what is biology say? Mm-hmm. Right? What does genetics say? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a difference between biological identity and uh, maybe even more of a, a sociological identity, right? And so what, what do those things look like? from a biblical perspective. And, you know, I got to say that me personally, I don't yet feel like we've covered that topic in its entirety. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an ongoing conversation, especially at the age that she's in. Right. So Mm -hmm. with our older daughter, she's in the, in this, at an age where she's being more exposed to those types of things, Mm -hmm. right. From, from friends and peers and things like that. My, my little guy, not so much yet, but we know that we'll have to address it with him as well. But I think staying firm in what we believe from a biblical perspective and what we believe from a, from a science perspective, yeah. right? We believe that, that biology matters. Mm-hmm. We believe that, uh, that the Bible matters and we don't believe those two things necessarily are in conflict. Yeah. Right. And so how do we, how do we share that in a way that gets her to think about it? Right. Yeah. And gets any kid to think about it and really start to, uh, to come to conclusions, hopefully, that, that are grounded in those two things, biology, which is science, and in biblical principles. And we always ended our conversations, or we try to <laughs> end our conversations with, regardless of what other people are feeling or, or living or whatever, Jesus calls us to love everybody. Mm. And so how do we show our love by being respectful? And I say, you absolutely have to be respectful and love on everybody, whether we agree with their choices or not. I love that. I love the combination of truth and gracious loving. I love that you're having these conversations around the, the table. That's that's amazing too. Y'all have already kind of woven in some benefits that you've experienced as a family. Your kids are are 15 and 10, so it's not like they're grown adults yet where you can look back and see all of the ramifications, but what are some things that you're observing now that are benefits of some choices that you made when they were younger? And what are you hoping for the future? You know, Cindy, I, I like to tell people regarding my 15-year-old that she's the Christian I want to be when I grow up. Oh. <laughs> she's so she's so you know grounded in in her foundational faith mm. and what she believes and and I didn't grow up in that environment and so there may be a bit of jealousy there on my part but <laughs> but she really is uh, an inspiration to me as a as a young Christian and mm-hmm. and so 
you know, I start to see the fruits of what we're doing now. And I, and I just imagine the lives she's going to touch. Mm. It just, it warms my heart to believe that, you know, these things are going to continue. We're laying the right foundations for them mm. and that they're going to, they're really going to touch people's lives. Many thanks to the Gurkis for not only uh, their encouragement today, but also being willing to model what it means to make some courageous choices in this day and age. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Counterculture Parents is brought to you in part by DryFaithHome.com. We help churches reach and disciple busy families. If you appreciate this podcast, then I encourage you to support your local church, which is your most important reinforcing community.